Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. Uh, good to be with you. And uh, my name is Mark Saxon. I'm representing Medellin Resources. We're listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange. And uh, we're focused on the production of rare earth metals from mineral sand. Hello, Mark. How are you? Matt, good morning. Great to see you. Yes. Yeah, it's been a while. I think, I, I'm, I think we met about four or five years ago. Uh, I'm, 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 try, I'm trying to put a, a, a name to a face. Um, well, a, a, apart from that, we've not spoken since, so I thought we'd better uh, have a little catch up and sort of see what you are up to. Um, so Medallion Resources, going into the rare earth space, uh, rare earth outside of China, tricky. For sure, it's a uh, it's a very complex market, and, and I guess that's what makes it interesting for for lots of investors. And and I guess yeah, my um, my motherhood statement would be that rare earths are not for all investors. Very complex market, uh, relatively small versus say copper or gold. And and in fact, I think in the last uh, twelve months, the rare earth market in total was say five billion dollars. So yeah, let's say that's um, about five or ten percent of what the copper market is, for example. So. Um, a relatively small, a relatively volatile market, and it's, it's very important to have a, a very clear business model about how to actually execute in that market. And uh, and again, I suppose, yeah, we, we always have the, the hand of um, of China within that market and uh, open to influence, and uh, so we need to be cautious of that. But I think what we're doing in Medallion is is we've created a business model that can really work in whatever part of the cycle we're, we're in, in rare earths. And um, I think that's the exciting thing we're doing. Okay, so well, let's talk about that, because I'm, I'm always keen to understand a company's business plan or, or business model. Uh, and, you know, in this case, it is, rare earths has always been known as something that China's got the expertise to, to manage, and anyone who attempts to move into the space is going to need the hand of China uh, to assist them at some uh, part of that process, but that also means controlling margins for companies. So that's that's the inherent um, problem. So what are you going to do that's so different? Absolutely, that's a great question. And, and really, I suppose most of the companies that, that you talk to, and um, and uh, yeah, I've certainly watched back a lot of your your interviews there, and and you're almost always talking to companies that that own a single mining project that are yeah they've found something, they're pushing it ahead, they're trying to get it that little bit closer to development or take over and, and uh, move the project forward. Um, Medallion is really quite different to that. So Medallion is a, is a rare earth technology company. Um, so let's, I guess, look back sort of five or 10 years and we can build up that story a little and, and we can think about what happened in that last rare earth boom, where, uh, which was 2010, 2011. And, and I was a CEO of a different company at that stage, which, which did extremely well. And that was about, I guess, um, the first time that rare earths came onto the map, I suppose, about 10 years ago. Um, the, the bubble came and went. Um, almost no projects were developed. The capex was too high. The projects were too remote. The chemistry was too difficult. Um, really, nobody moved forward and, and companies blew up completely. And, and really, the only survivor, I guess, at that time is, is Linus Corp that did really well. So um, Medallion, and, and under the leadership of the previous CEO, yeah, Don Lay, who, who sadly passed away recently, um, he, I guess, set the, the guide for the company as it went forward. And Don wasn't a, a geologist. Don was more of an industrial background. And, uh, and I guess Don's view was how do we copy what the Chinese are doing and um, how do we make use of a, a byproduct material that we don't need to go and mine? How do we make use of mineral sand monazite and add value to that outside of China? Because that's what the Chinese are doing, um, adding value to that, um, that material. So... Don went about sort of establishing the team and the process to be able to, to, to use mineral sand monazite 
um, as a feedstock for a process that is executable within the Western world. So mineral sand monazite, um, very widely traded commodity. Um, it comes from mineral sand mines that were built for the production of, of either zirconium as zircon or as titanium. So really they were built, so yeah, we think about Western Australia, we think about Victoria where I live, we think about parts of Africa, Rio Tinto Mining and Richards Bay, for example. Um, those mines were built to produce um, zirconium and, uh, and titanium minerals. They weren't built for monazite. But monazite is a heavy mineral, and so there's always a little bit in those mineral sands that either gets sold to a Chinese market or gets dug back into the pit when they close it. So our business model has been to take that byproduct, find a way to process it and maximise the value and get that into the Western market. And that's, that's relatively low capex, that's relatively low technology hurdles. And uh, yeah, really it's copying something that others have done, but in a, in a much better fashion and, and in a more environmentally friendly fashion. Okay, so, so let's start, there's quite a few things there. So let's, let's start with the technology, first of all. So you're just copying what other, other people have already done. So is there any proprietary or intellectual property associated with the technology side of your business? Uh, so we have two sides of the business. So one is the, the monazite processing side. And uh, yeah, we, we're sort of terming that the, the medallion monazite process. So we don't have patents in that one, but we do have proprietary knowledge. And uh, so we've spent quite a lot of money on developing a process that is really, I guess, let's call it a scalable off-the-shelf process that is zero liquid waste um, and produces essentially for for ninety uh, for for the material that goes in about ninety percent comes out as as saleable products, which is um, yeah really quite remarkable. So that's a phosphate product, that's a, a rare earth product, that's a cerium product. All of those have attractive markets. So it's a closed circuit um, zero liquid waste system and. Um, that's about as good as it gets with this process. And um, yeah, so we're very pleased with how that's gone. Proprietary internal knowledge. Um, we haven't created patents around that one. We've added on to the back end of that. Um, so rather than selling um, a mixed product where the rare earths are all in one product, um, we have now paired our, our research and, and licensed a technology called ligand assisted um, displacement chromatography, LAD chromatography. So this is a technique that's based out of uh, Purdue University and um, yeah, Purdue are a, a global leader in, in chromatography. Um, so we're able to pair the two processes together and we're able to keep our, our rare earths in solution. It comes out of the, the extraction phase into the separation phase and, uh, and then separates out into uh, all the different metals that we need to be, be selling and um, which is particularly magnet metals is really where the market is. Okay. And um, yeah, so patents and protection on that one. Okay, so just wanna, I just wanna understand what the future value is. So in, in terms of the, the um, what you're calling the medallion mon monazite process, th there's no patents to that, so there's no value per se in that, it's the contracts that you get utilizing that technology. And then with the Purdue University technology, you've got some sort of agreement with them. Is it some sort of financial agreement with them or what's that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So the uh, the medallion monazite process, uh, so so we have all the res research knowledge and uh, and really what we're seeing in the market, nobody's gonna catch up with us. And um, and so we're now in the process with that technology of, of licensing and, and sharing it with, with partners. Um, we're also looking at the opportunity to build out, I guess, a, a process hub. So where where we sit within a um, uh, a attractive location for mineral sand uh, monazite, and uh, we're able to aggregate that mineral sand, and we go from say a product that comes in at um, at two thousand dollars a ton 
into products that can go out the door at, um, at $80,000 a ton. So we're doing that value add step. Um, but uh, yeah, you're, you're quite right. We don't have the patents on that and, and we don't need to really. Um, we're not concerned about that at all. And, and patents are a double-edged sword and um, most patents that are developed are never used. Um, and when you develop a patent, you need to disclose all of your operating technology and you need to be, be able to uh, protect it and, um, and be prepared to go and sort of fight those battles. Um, we decided to keep it internal and, um, and not share that. If we look at Purdue, Purdue is a, um, yeah, is a major university. Their, their entire business model is about sort of creating technologies. Um, they have a very deep division that protects their patents and, and a licensing group. So we have licensed the technology from Purdue University. Um, we have a, a unique license to apply that to any hard rock rare earth source in the world. So it doesn't just apply to Monazite. It applies equally to, to every other project around the world. And so we're now talking to a whole lot of partners about testing their materials. And really the beauty of chromatography, um, so at the moment the, the embedded technology for rare earth separation is, is solvent extraction. The beauty for chromatography is that you're, you're able to, to pull from solution just the metals you want. And um, you don't need to be doing the whole separation of materials. Chromatography doesn't need solvents. So it's not like kind of the old solvent extraction process, which was a whole football pitch um, of, of tanks and pipes and, and kerosene. Um, this is a relatively small footprint process. And I'm sure, in fact, the, the COVID vaccine that you probably got in the UK um, was probably purified with a, with a, um, a chromatography process. So it's a, it's a very widely used process and very well understood. So um, that's patented and we have an exclusive license to that and we're doing the, um, uh, the final stages of development now. Okay, so, so you used the word um, unique earlier. So it's, you mean exclusive for hard rock, you have that license globally? Correct, yes. Yeah. Right, okay. So, so the, the license was, uh, was shared. So there's two sides of the license. One part went to a recycling company that's doing recycling technologies the other side of the license went to Medallion, and um, so we have it essentially for the rest of the world for everything else. Got it. Okay. So, and, and what's what's the what's that look like financially? What what does that mean? Once you start monetizing so at, at your the end, where he gets what? Uh, so we're we're funding ongoing research, um, and uh, and so that's fairly modest at the moment. Um, quite soon, we'll be moving into a pilot plant stage, and and that's where we we have some more costs, but the costs are really quite modest. Um, when we go through into an operational um, stage then there's uh, licensing revenues in the term of royalties that go back to, um, to Purdue University. Um, but a very, very fair deal. And um, yeah, so we're talking about sort of yeah, low percentages, very industry standard kind of deals. Single digit, low single digits. Very low sing single digits, yeah. Right, okay. And, and again, it scales based on, on the process. And um, yeah, there's a few modifying factors to it, but very low single digits. Yeah. Right, so, so far lab conditions, it works. You move it. You mentioned pilot plant there. In fact, let, let, let's let's get in there. So I want to understand where the money comes from because so we'll park up the technology bit for a second. So let's talk about uh, contracts like you signed uh, a letter of intent with uh, is it ACDC? Is that the Aussie Correct. Aussie company? Right. One great name company. Uh, two. What exactly are the terms of that deal in terms of access to monazite sands? Sure. So um, so mineral sand monazite. I guess we can look at probably 20 different mine sites around the world where, where mineral sand monazite is being um, produced. So if we look at, um, yeah, I guess the, the world leaders, Australia, um, parts of Africa, Brazil, Indonesia, yeah, all, all of them are, are handling mineral sand monazite. So it's, it's really quite widespread. Um, 
at the moment, it's quite a competitive market. All of that material has been bought and, and going into Chinese customers. And, and I think that's probably reflective of, of what's happening in the, the EV market, the wind market, that's really soaking up a lot of rare earths. So um, I guess we have finished most of our research that we're, um, we're happy to do, I guess, in terms of our, our monotype processing. So the next thing is about looking looking back upstream, who's our partners and where can we get monazite from? So we've spoken to almost everyone, I guess, in the market. And um, and so we're now looking at ways to, to license that technology with those partners and form partnerships. So ACDC is the holder of a very large mineral sand resource in, uh, in Victoria. And um, so that's, yeah, let's call it half a billion tonnes or something like that, so very big numbers. Um, so Monazite is well known from that deposit, and uh, and so they're yeah, moving down a pathway of an IPO and um, and yeah drilling out the deposit, finding ways to extract value from the zirconium and from the titanium, and also the monazite, and that's a real sweetener for it. So I guess the the business plan that we we envisage together and Medellin, a shareholder in um, in ACDC, is to build a facility in Australia that can take. Um, mineral sand monazite from a whole range of suppliers, not just from ACDC. I think that's really the exciting part. Okay, so you're not a miner, you haven't got that risk, but you will sign some sort of contract with them eventually, I guess, to deliver it to your pilot plant and processing plant eventually, hopefully, a certain amount of monazite, assuming. So it's what happens on pricing, because you're right, everything goes up to China and China can outbid everyone. And because we, we're speaking to American companies and they're just a little bit sensitive about appearing as a competitor to China because China will use their financial muscle to, you know, make life difficult. So how do, how do you do that dance? Yeah, and and, uh, yeah, and anyone investing in rare earths has to be mindful of the Chinese influence. And, um, yeah, we, we all acknowledge that. And uh, I guess um, we're all finding niches in the market and, um, and not really going head-to-head -head with the Chinese market And um, because the demand for rare earths is, is so great that there is – tremendous opportunities for many winners. So it doesn't require somebody else's failure for, for our success, I guess, would be my first point there. Um, in the current monazite market, yes, it's absolutely tight. Um, however, again, the demand for zirconium titanium products is growing. And so the output of, of monazite as well is, is absolutely growing. And, uh, and so that's the opportunity for us. Um, I guess um, our part of the supply chain, which is the processing part of the supply chain, um, we're taking a product that's probably already being sold to a Chinese customer um, and we are taking it out of the Chinese market, adding value to it. It may well end up in the Chinese market in the short term because the, the ex-China market for rare earths is not that great. However, the value would have, will have been added before it goes back into that Chinese market. And then over term, time, I think we'll see Japanese customers developing, we'll see the US customers developing. Absolutely, within Europe, there's a there's a lot of momentum in Europe for um, uh, for standalone uh, processing and value add, and, and particularly if there's border taxes with um, uh, with uh, understanding the carbon that's gone into into the um, the production of metals uh, coming into Europe, then I think that's a great opportunity for a company like ours, and um, where mm -hmm. we can compete very well with the Chinese uh, producers. Um, but, but has it worked today and of the future? How, but has it worked? Okay, so. Do I'm just trying to, you, you've, got to, you've got to manage your money, right? So do you, are you going to just take an offtake and sell the technology to them and process it for them, and then you charge a fee for that? Do you buy the monazite and own the monazite, and then you extract whatever you can extract and, and process that? Well, hopefully eventually process that. I mean, 
What exactly is the relationship? How, mm. how does the money work? Sure, and I, I would say very much on that one, horses for courses. Um, depending on the jurisdiction that we're, we're looking at and working in, um, depends about the sovereign risk, the access to the raw materials, really is, is setting our thinking about the, um, the business plans that we're trying to execute on. Um, for example, if we look at the Australian market where um, yeah, sovereign risk is, is very low, then long-term partnerships of working together um, us becoming a shareholder in, in the supply of the mineral sand monazite really works. Um, that's a very sensible model. If we're looking at some other jurisdictions around the world where yeah, perhaps a long-term partnership is, is not as easy to develop, then maybe we'll buy the monazite and we'll bring it outside the country or we'll sell the technology into that, um, into that process for the, uh, a single-use technology licence into that location. And, um, and so we can hand it across, we can provide long-term support but our, our financial gain is in, in that first transaction rather than the long-term transaction. But, but how does that work? Yeah, so we're, we're yeah, very I'm much horses, of course, depending on the location. Okay, okay. So no, no, there's no plan yet. You're, you're, you're agnostic to what that could look like at the moment. But at some point, you've got to pay for the pilot plant and whatever comes uh, past that. So taking shares in, a, in an entity, that doesn't pay the bills, right? So... W- w- it's kind of a difficult thing. You need money initially. You need to get some money in. You need to show funders that there's a revenue flow. You're not just sitting there building up stock in, in, in partner companies. Sure. So, yeah. again, so how are you approaching? How are you thinking about that? Because you've got one, one yeah, LOI guess, at the moment, yeah. right? Uh, correct, yes. And, and I guess, yeah, to, to put that in context, we, we've only just completed what we're calling our, our techno-economic study. And so the techno-economic study covers, I guess, all of the research we've done to date and um, for the monazite process. Um, so, yeah, let's say five, five years of work have been aggregated into one document. And, um, yeah, it's called a techno-economic study. We can call it a, a pre-feasibility study. But, um, yeah, un- under the, the, um, the rules we work under in Canada, then it's a, it's a TA. So the TA is a, um, a financial and um, an engineering model which I guess defines everything we've done. So we can literally drop that into any location around the world and work out the business model that works most appropriately for that location and work out the scale of operation that, um, that works most efficiently. So we did our, our TEA based on 7,000 tonnes per year, which is a pretty modest project. So that's about 35 million US market, uh, sorry, uh, CapEx to build them. Um, yeah, plus some other... Uh, capital costs around it for the site, but um, yeah, very low um, cost to be able to get into the business, and and that would produce about a hundred million dollars worth of revenue per year of of rare earths. Um, obviously, not everything comes to us. We've got to share some of that with the supply supplier of the mineral sand monazite, but really it depends on on the business model of the mineral sand supplier as well. Um, for an awful lot of mineral sand well, prospective mineral sand suppliers, they put zero value on their, on their mineral sand monazite. So we can look at, at Western Australia, there's a big stockpile there that um, uh, has never been utilised because the business plan didn't really support utilising and getting value from that monazite. We can look at the US, there was a, a stockpile within the US um, until 2018 that was sold to a Chinese customer. Um, and that was probably a liability rather than an asset. Um, so kind of the value comes and goes depending on the market. And, and there's an absolute pull through of, of the NDPR price, which is the magnet metals. As the NDR price rises, then the, the value of the monazite rises. And um, yeah, so it, it's kind of 
a, a um, it, it's hard to know until you know the exact circumstance how the business model looks. I would right. I, I guess what I'm trying what I'm trying to get at if I, if I was funding this thing, I'm, I'm looking. You don't have any IP on your process. Someone else owns the IP on the on the back. Oh, we, we have lots of IP. There's no there's no question about the IP. So okay, no patents. The IP is, no patents. is locked and loaded on the on the models You've got a process. It's just that we don't go to a patent. So, okay. so the only difference is we don't go to a patent, which means we haven't had to disclose to the entire world the process, which which is smart. It's not silly, and and so. If you've ever been down the, the, the process of, of creating a patent, then everything you've done has to go onto a piece of paper and be lodged. And, and, and when you understand the, the dynamics of the, of the rare earth industry and, and who our major competitors are, then that would be madness. And so um, that well, would be a, a complete loss of our internal knowledge um, because we're a small company and do we have an ability to defend our IP Against a yeah a state-owned enterprise in a in a foreign country, probably not. So so the keeping that internal has been okay. the smart way to, to approach that. But I like the irony of the fact that it's you, you've done that off the back of understanding the Chinese processes. So it's you know you, right. Um, but if it comes to valuing, if it comes to valuing the company, it's going to be on the contracts that you get, right? It's going to be on those events which allow you to create revenue or shared revenue yes. streams, right? So, because mm. you may or may not own the monocyte sans itself, sure. right? Yeah. Um, and you'll work that out and you'll let everyone know yeah. what that looks like. So, mm. you need lots of these things just to fund the pilot plant. You'll need even more than that to pr demonstrate that. Hopefully, the pilot plant demonstrates sure. your technical capabilities, but also your ability to. Um, show line of sight to uh, an end product, whatever that may, may be, and maybe a carbonate, I don't know what you're planning to do. How do you go about getting those contracts in place like today, this year? Because there's, there's a few people out there touting various versions of your technology, you know? So how does that work? Yeah, well, I, I would say, um, yeah, at, at the moment in terms of competition, like there's zero, like um, there, there's no one doing what Medellin is doing. And, and that's, for better or worse, I suppose that um, yeah, you'd like to have yeah, a bit of competition is good, but um, there's really yeah, to, there's no one who's who's coming along with a transferable technology um, that Medallion has developed. There, there's some other ideas, I guess, that are fixed to single locations, where the mineral sand monazite has to be transported to that location, and and that's quite different thinking, and and that's that's not easy to do, and um, and so we're able to sort of flip the switch on that one with the way Medellin has approached this to say, we're able to come to you, you're able to add value to that um, that process and, and we're going to do that together. That's interesting. So, so, That's interesting. So what you're saying, there, there are people out there who have single site operations, like in energy fuels we, we've talked to in, uh, sure, in the past absolutely. couple of weeks. But you're saying is because you've kind of got a mobile solution, we can come to your location and process yeah. with you sure. or for you, yeah. however. Yeah, so, so we've... We've done pretty deep dives into uh, yeah with some support of our uh, our upstream partners and which is um, uh, yeah some guys out of Singapore that uh, uh, wells back that uh, gives us good support on that one um, has a pretty deep dive into where the the flow of mineral sand monazite around the globe is at the moment where the real ideas for for hubs are and like at the moment the US is not a hub um, we Medellin spent a lot of time looking at um, a place to operate within Texas. However, the US has, has almost no mineral sand monazite. So far better to come into Australia, far better to come into Africa, 
far better to come into Southeast Asia where there's perhaps, Australia perhaps has 20 times as much mineral sand monazite as the US does. So, so there's no reason to carry monazite from Australia to the US and then have it have the product go back outside to, to a Chinese customer or to a Japanese customer. Um, so, and, that, and that's always a big issue with, with rare earths in general, and it's not specific to our company, is that, that the skew in the market between supply and demand um, is, is so Asian-centric that, um, yeah, it really is a challenging market to play in. So, so the business model has to be very suited to, to where the, the customers actually are and where the, where the deposits are and where the, uh, the material comes from. Right, so the technology is transferable, I'm mobile. So you, but the, there's still a processing component to this, right? So you've got to extract what, whatever you're hunting, NDPR um, and, and other things from the monazite sands pre predominantly. You're going to have to build something, physically build something, or your partner's going to have to build something, or between your your balance sheet, you're going to have to build something. So what does that look like? Have you got so far as to design what that could look like and what's the scalability of that? Yeah, I, I guess when we look at the um, yeah the, the, the capital steps that sit in front of us. So, so yeah, as you've mentioned, I suppose, the first one is the pilot plant. So the pilot plant process and, and all the surroundings for the pilot plant would be three, four million dollars, something of that range. Um, so yeah, no, nothing, nothing extraordinary. Um, the and I guess when we think about that, there's two sides to what we're doing, and, and one's the chemistry, and the other is the is the engineering that supports the chemistry. Um, the chemistry we we understand extremely well. Um, the engineering is the place where we need to focus on. So that's for the monazite process. And again, we can say similar kind of numbers for the uh, the chromatography process once we we look at rolling that out. So so that's our first capital hurdle. The second capital hurdle will be um, how we build it, where we where we build it, who we build it in partnership with, um, and and there we're talking yeah. So so to use the published numbers, so thirty five million US dollars for a, a seven thousand ton per annum plant. Um, so so that's yeah. And again, to look at energy fuels, that's about five times larger or something than what energy fuels is doing at the moment. So um, so. The opportunity there is is to go to the suppliers of monazite, and uh, and I think it'll be absolutely in partnership and and revenue sharing within the value upstep that we get on the mineral sand monazite because the the value add is is really quite remarkable to go from something that is fifteen hundred two thousand dollars a ton as mineral sand monazite um, when you're selling the the NDPR um, from that mineral sand monazite you're looking at eighty thousand dollars a ton. And, and there's reductions and, and things along the way, so it's not not one for one, but um, the the markup is is very substantial. But the the business needs to be right sized, I suppose. So it's got to be right sized with the monazite supplies, it's got to be right sized with the customer demand, and um, yeah, and that's really the challenge in rare earths because rare earths behave as industrial minerals; they don't behave as commodities, and so you really need to be relevant with your business plan, relevant with your financing plans, and, and I know that's that's your concern, and um, and relevant with your customers um, to make sure that you hit all those boxes. So for when you look at the economics, and we haven't published the economics fully from our TEA, and again, because it's for confidentiality reasons, because we don't need to be exposing too much then, um, that anyone that comes inside the tent and, and takes a look at those and says, all right, that's pretty attractive, then that's where we start to talk about sort of real financing financing decisions and um, and that that's a pretty low bar when we're talking sort of 30 to 50 million kind of dollar range to build something that's got a, a pretty good revenue highly relevant in the market because of of 
how strategic it is, highly relevant because it doesn't need to have a mine built. It can go within existing facilities. Um, uh, the footprint's very small. Chemical needs are small. It's got no waste. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of the sweet spot for us. Okay, so so let's – okay, that, that's, that's great on the – the thesis, the the idea. Let's talk about the money. So, in terms of cash, you're what? You're 17 million market cap today. Um, what's your cash position today? So, cash today is about 1.5, 1.6 million. So, both in Canadian dollars. So, um, right. Uh, we've got yeah, sort of, I'd say two to three million dollars in, in the money warrants. Right. Um, so that that comes in most months, and um, yeah, so we we see the trickle in from that, and that keeps us kind of cash neutral at the moment. Um, so for the stage of the business, we're not we're not in a panic. We're not looking for money at the moment, and um, and so um, yeah, we're able to achieve our milestones. Um, the research we do at Purdue University was all prepaid, so we've got no particular costs on that one. And um, yeah, some support and materials and things, but nothing. Okay, so no, no big ticket items. Your GNA is relatively low, so uh, yeah. all, all good on that front. So. How do you, or let's start with when do you think you're going to need to go to market to say, right, we've got enough interest, we've got signed letters of intent, binding or otherwise, whatever mm. whatever that sure. comes back in, we need to raise some money for this pilot plant to be able to prove the concept works. When does that happen? Sure. Um, that's that's not something that we're focused on at the moment. I think we're still focused on, on those partnerships um, and, and building out partnerships. And so we're looking at... I guess at the moment focused on the different hubs, I guess, around the world and um, yeah, identifying the, the potential partners in each of those hubs. Um, let, let's say we're, we're six to 12 months out from that kind of event. Okay, but you, you know where everyone is. It's a question of where are oh, you with sure. those discussions, right? Sure. You've got to get into discussions. You've got to persuade them of your technology and the financial upside for them and sure. you know, talk about how you construct a deal because each one sounds like it's going to be slightly different. That's what, that's what we're saying, right? Sure. Yeah, every deal, everyone we speak to is slightly different because they're, they're a different point on the, on the supply chain. Um, and, and a lot of it is, is about how robust their own business is, um, how much they really need to be extracting value from mineral sand monazite. So, so at the moment, there's, there's miners who extract zero value from it, um, who are kind of happy with, with anything. Um, there's other ones who are selling into the Chinese market and, uh, and getting a premium and so doing pretty well. Um, so obviously we've got to have a, a pretty compelling offering to those kind of um, uh, guys in the market that, um, yeah, to be able to put ourselves in front of it. But, um, but yeah, I guess everyone is talking about the same, the same kind of problems and the same issues. And it's a, yeah, it's, it's a global problem on, on access to critical materials. And, uh, and so at the moment, um, yeah, absolutely China is mining their own materials China is bringing materials in from Myanmar and from from Laos and, and across borders, and um, all to be processed. And on yeah, uh, MP materials sends their their um, concentrate for processing in China. Um, so everything is kind of bottlenecked through China. Um, it's going to take um, quite a lot of effort to build a new rare earth mine and um, half a billion dollars of financing to build a new rare earth mine sitting outside of China. That's where the real risk risk is. That's a really huge challenge because of the the fragmented nature of the market and and uh, and I guess because the total market is is pretty modest, five billion dollars or something like that. There's no real takeover opportunity at the moment from from one of the major companies to come in and say, look, I'm going to yeah, we want to be so much in rare earths, we're going to take over one of those prospective miners. So it's about 
companies have to do it themselves. And to do it yourself, you've got to be fairly lean and mean with your capital. I think that's the path that, that Medellin has taken. Um, yeah, I, I guess that said, and, and I guess we can look from the news of today or yesterday that yeah, Rio Tinto committing into in the development of, um, of Jadar, the, the lithium project in Serbia. So these markets are now getting big enough to actually attract the attention of, of major mining companies. And uh, yeah, BHP getting involved in the ring of fire. And, and so we're now seeing that big shift in the market. And, um, and so, yeah, there is at some point, there'll be some of those big mines built for rare earths outside of China, but um, still the hurdle is high. And um, yeah, they're, they're still away. Absolutely. And for you to get finance, you're going to need to go from lab conditions to pilot conditions, get that finance, proof of concept, show it can work at scale, right, yeah. to be able to, you know, then roll this out. So in terms of timing wise, you are what, in terms of revenue, you're, you're some ways out at the moment, aren't you? There's no real line of we're, sight We're some ways out, but that, yeah. that's okay. And uh, yeah, that's the nature of the business we're in. And I think we'll see... We'll see multiple licensing agreements, and that's absolutely the focus for us at the moment. Um, and and they, they're, they're the places where um, we see independent parties validating the technology and coming back to us um, and saying, all right, that's where we need to be. So that's the independent valid, uh, validation. And, and those parties are then very motivated to see um, moving through the last stage of the pilot plant and, and moving on to construction um, of the project because, um, they're the guys with skin in the game. They own the monazite. They need solutions. Um, they want additional revenue, and they also want to deal with the waste issues that they're facing. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're motivated from both sides to meet in the middle. Okay. Okay, Mark. Well, look, um, look I appreciate these sort of, um, you know, coming on telling this story. I, I guess the market's going to be looking to you to deliver news about these contracts, these conversations with groups um, and some sort of clarity about, you know, timing and, and funding of those. So appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you very much, mate. Appreciate the time to talk about it. And, uh, yeah, all, all I can say is that uh, Rare Earths is uh, an amazing, interesting field that, that is growing incredibly fast. And so we're seeing demand growth, growth going through the roof. We're seeing companies like Medallion really finding their places. And so, uh, yeah, I think Medallion is going to be a winner and many others in the rare space as well. So uh, yeah, happy to talk anytime. Cheers. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.